0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Roner Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Roner Park area. Well, I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19. It's always a privilege to come and open up the Word of God, especially when we're able to speak on subjects that I know will touch every person that's in the room. Charles Spurgeon said that in every sermon that he preached, he wanted to go as quickly to the cross as he could. And there are some things that we preach where that's harder to do than it is at other times. But we have a text here where we actually can go right to the cross because this is a text about salvation. And I want to take you to the cross right now and tell you that it is impossible for any person to be saved without coming and kneeling at the cross of Christ and putting all their confidence in him to see that there is no other way that you'll ever be able to make it to heaven than by the power of the cross that we've just sung about a moment ago. You don't have any power in yourself. You have to lose all hope of your ability before Christ will save you, and you must come in that complete dependence upon him. And the reason that there was a cross was because Christ came to do what you cannot do for yourself. If you look at our text verses today, we find Jesus and the apostles discussing the aftermath of a conversation that Jesus had with with a young man, a rich man, a very successful man, A man that had all of the advantages that a person can have, but there was something that was very seriously missing in his life. He was religious, but he was not right. Now, he knew that he wasn't on his way to heaven, but this is the thing that he wanted. He wanted to be on his way to heaven. And he was troubled about that. His soul was troubled. But tragically, he was not troubled enough to do what Jesus told him to do, he wanted to seek salvation on his terms rather than on God's terms. Now, if you'll look at this passage, I'd like for us to back up to the what we covered last week, and we're going to start reading at verse number 16 this morning. Stand with me, please, as we look into God's word. We'll read, uh, at, starting at verse 16, our text verses begin at verse number 23. And the scripture says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, What good thing shall I do that I may inherit or that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And our text verses begin here at 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. Uh, Speak to our hearts as we look at this text. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. No matter where we go with Jesus in the gospel accounts, we always find that he had compassion and love for the souls of men. Whether Jesus was in Galilee, where we've been studying for these past few years, whether he was there or whether he was in Judea, whether he was confronted with skeptics or even whether he was cruelly hanging on the cross, Jesus was always concerned about the souls of men. He always had compassion on them. For the most part, Jesus was rejected everywhere that he went. He brought great light to the Gentiles during that time that he preached in Galilee But the people rejected him. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. That same passage was repeated earlier in the book of Matthew in the fourth chapter when Jesus first went into Galilee. There it says that, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the sea coast, that is on the Sea of Galilee, in the borders of Zabulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, saying, "The land of Zabulun and the land of Naphtalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light." And to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. Now, Jesus preached the gospel to these people, but they rejected the light. And that would be true in Judea. That's why that he would go to the cross. Jerusalem rejected him. And there he stood over the city of Jerusalem, crying out to that city and uh, crying for their repentance. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Why did Jesus groan over these people, ones that had rejected him and ones then in a very short time would hang him on a cross and kill him. Why did he do that? Well, he did it because he loved the souls of men. Now, we've just seen the encounter with the rich man, and here was a man who didn't have eternal life, and he did want to be saved. And Jesus very clearly told him what he needed to do in order to have eternal life that he must recognize himself as a sinner, that he must understand that no matter how good that he thought he was, that in God's eyes he was indeed a sinner. And though he was rich in the world's goods and had everything that he wanted, spiritually he was miserable and poor and blind and naked. And this young man turned away from Jesus. He walked away from him because he was unwilling to accept the remedy that Jesus gave him for his sin. He was unwilling to admit that he was a sinner. He was unwilling to forsake all of his self-dependence. And most importantly, he was unwilling to take Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior to give everything to him, to dedicate himself wholly to him and do as Jesus said that he must take up his cross and follow him. I want you to notice in Mark's account that this is exactly what Jesus said he must do. Mark 9:10:21 Then Jesus beholding him loved him that's the compassion and said unto him one thing that thou lackest go thy way sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and take up thy cross and follow me. We also notice in Matthew chapter 16 that this is the requirement that Jesus places upon every person that would enter into his kingdom. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And this is the very thing that this man was unwilling to do. His riches were more valuable than his own soul. He rejected Christ because of riches. And so in turn, we see Christ's rejection of him. You know, we hear so often people say things like, well, Jesus will accept you just the way that you are. We always hear that. But Jesus will not accept you just the way that you are Jesus will accept you when you surrender what you are and are willing to be made over into what he wants you to be. So Jesus rejected this young man. He wouldn't take him in his riches, not as long as Jesus was secondary to all those things that he had and was not the Lord of his life. So Jesus rejected him. Now, let's take a few minutes as we begin this morning to try to understand why did Jesus reject this young man? Well, first of all, we look at the rejection of the rich. This is not just this young man, but riches are warned against many, many times in the Scripture. In the 23rd verse, then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus was still thinking of the man's condition. And and, and I think that there's a ring of sorrow in his voice as he watched this man walk away from him. Eternal life was right there within his grasp. He's there with the Son of God. The Word of God is being taught to him. Eternal life is in Jesus Christ. And Jesus was right in front of him. And this man turned and walked away. And Jesus even said this, you only lack one thing to get into the kingdom. All these other things that we might think were wrong. He says, you only lack one thing in order to get into the kingdom. And what was that one thing? Well, it was actually a huge thing. It was the idolatry of his wealth. Instead of supreme love for God, he loved his wealth. And so Jesus said, a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. What does that actually mean? When Jesus says, he shall hardly enter, well, the Greek word there is the word deuskalos, and it means with difficulty. He says, with difficulty, he shall enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a word that's used only three times in the New Testament. And all three times, it's in the retelling of this particular story. In just a moment, we're going to see just how difficult that it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, as a side note, you'll notice here that Jesus says kingdom of heaven. And then in verse number 24, he says the kingdom of God. And that shows that kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are interchangeable terms. And when we get down to verse number 25, we see the meaning of both of these terms within the context. The disciples ask, who then can be saved? And this shows us that entrance into the kingdom of heaven, entrance into the kingdom of God is the same thing as salvation. And so used in this context, these are equivalent terms to salvation. And so what Jesus said, It is with great difficulty that a rich man can be saved. Folks, that ought to make us perk up a little bit. It ought to make us start thinking, why is it so difficult for a rich man to be saved? What the Word of God is telling us is that riches, a person's material gains, can actually be a barrier to getting into the kingdom of God, or in other words, a barrier to be saved. Now, as we look at this remarkable statement that Jesus gave, what are the reasons that there is such difficulty? Why does God reject the rich? Well, first of all, we see that the rich are satisfied. The rich believe they already have all they need. Now, those of you that have attended outreach training, you may remember the man who received a call from his friend. His friend had just become a Christian. And for those of you that didn't attend, I'll tell you the story. But there was a man that was rich. He was living a very comfortable life. And he received a call from his friend that had just been saved And this friend was very eager to share his faith with him. And that's a commendable thing to do. When you get saved, that's what you really ought to do. You ought to have a desire to share your faith with other people. Tell them what Christ has done for you. Well, this man wanted to share his faith with his rich friend. But the only problem was he he wasn't prepared to share his faith in the right way. So he called his rich friend to tell him how great that he felt since he had come to know Christ. He told him about the inner peace that he had. He told him about the happiness he had and how fulfilled that he was. But the message that he gave his rich friend fell on deaf ears. And that's because his rich friend felt the same things. He was well satisfied with his life. He felt very fulfilled. He felt good. His life was great. He had a big house. He had a nice car. He had a pool. He had his nanny. He had his stocks and his bank accounts. Here was a man that was living life to the full. So what did he need that he didn't have? You see, the rich are very satisfied with their lives. They have all that they need as far as the world is concerned. So you're not going to reach that kind of person with an appeal to happiness. And that's why Jesus talked to him about the law, rather than about happiness. Jesus had said to the man, You know something? If you will come and follow me, I can make you happy. If you will just take your cross and follow me, I'll give you inner peace. But there is no appeal here to happiness. Because following Christ and being ridiculed as a as a nutcase religious fanatic, that's not the rich man's idea of happiness. So if Jesus said, I'll give you happiness, that man would have turned away and uh, walked away immediately. He's already happy with what he has. He doesn't need any more contentment on a worldly level. So Jesus didn't approach him with that. He approached him with God's law to show him just how miserable that he was, that he was actually an offender against God, that he didn't have what it takes to get into the kingdom of God. And this rich man just proved that he was satisfied because he chose his riches over Jesus. His riches made him happier than eternal life. And so he was sad when Jesus told him, that he had to give all of that away, give up all that he had, and come and follow him. Now, what is another reason that the rich are rejected by God and it's hard for them to get eternal life? It's because the rich are secure. It's difficult for the rich to enter heaven because they're secure. They're self-dependent. They don't really want for anything. They have all their own resources. And so there's no point in them turning to God. What can God provide them that they don't already have? And we see a classic example of this in the book of Revelation. There was one of the seven churches that Jesus spoke to. Uh, John wrote all of this down, and there were some letters that were sent out on a circuitous route to seven churches of Asia. And there was one particular church called the Church of Laodicea. And you may remember that church because that's the one that was called the lukewarm church or the one that was the sickening church. This is the one that Jesus said, I will spew you out of my mouth well the Laodiceans were an an interesting group because they were a very self-dependent bunch there was an earthquake that occurred in the city of Laodicea very devastating earthquake so that the Roman government told them that they would come and they would help them rebuild the city but the Laodiceans were too proud for that they told Rome we don't need your help we can rebuild the city by ourselves. And so they refused what Rome would give them. And they did rebuild that city all by themselves. They were confident they could do everything that they needed to do. And that was the last time that anybody ever refused government help. That was in Laodicea. But you know, none of us, none of us are really too proud to take our money from the government. But, but these were proud people. They were secure in their wealth. They thought they could do everything themselves... And this was really the great problem with their riches, and the rich in general. The rich will not come because they're already secure. They're already self-reliant. Now, self-reliance is just like that city in Laodicea. The rich become prideful. Someone has said that riches feed the big eye, that riches stroke the ego, and the rich do become very prideful. Why is it so hard for the rich to get into heaven? Well, could it be that because God says that he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble? God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble? And when Jesus saw winning in presentation to these young men, he, he never even got to grace because he never got that man's pride out of the way. He would not admit that he was a sinner and he would not accept the lordship of Christ. Jesus said, sell all you have and follow me. But he wouldn't because his riches were his God. Listen to how that God warned his people about the deception of riches. You know, after Israel had seen the mighty works of God and leading them out of Egypt, how Moses parted the Red Sea and how there was water that came out of the rock and how there was manna that came down from heaven and how he made the bitter waters of Marah sweet. So many miracles that God did. And this is what he warned them about. He said, And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Now that's the temptation of riches. Uh, When we get those, we seem to forget about God, that we even need God. And he goes on and he says, "...but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do it all, forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I will testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish." And this is exactly the rich man's folly. He was an Israelite, he was a Jew, he was in the chosen nation, but he chose to follow another god. He was in idolatry because his god was his bank account. Now do you get the picture here how the, how the rich think? Most of them are prideful, they are arrogant, they are self-sufficient, they love the things that they've gathered to themselves, And it's not very unusual at all to see the rich put their riches and the things that they own, the things that they have accumulated in front of the things of God. And that's why we never see too many rich people that come to our services on Sundays or Sunday nights and other times of the week because they have so many other things to do, so many other things that occupy them. They're so busy with what they have that they have no time to worship God. Now, here is the problem is that a rich person has in him the pride of life. And the Bible says that God does not, does not let people have that pride of life and be his. John says, let not the world, neither love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there you can put it simply. The problem is those that are rich do not have the love of the Father in them because they're filled with the pride of life. And folks, it is impossible to be saved if you don't have the love of the Father in you. This is what God does. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now we'll notice here in the next part how that Jesus defines these words, how hardly... And he gives a, a brilliant illustration, just a, just a visual mind picture that just opens this things up, things up to help us to understand how hard is it for a rich man to get, him, get into heaven. We look at next the, the illustration of impossibility. Jesus knows how to get his point across. I mean, he develops mental images. So what is meant by this word, duskalos, how hardly... Well, it means impossible. It means it cannot happen. Verse 24, and again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. How many of you have trouble with Bible interpretation? I mean, don't we all struggle from time to time when we read the Bible trying to understand what it actually means? I mean, we all have that problem. So we have our commentaries and we have um, our dictionaries and hopefully you have a preacher that'll help you to understand what the word of God means. Well, what does this mean? Jesus sets up a... An illustration of impossibility. It seems to be very easy to interpret, even though there are people that read this scripture and they cloud the interpretation with some other type of meaning. They try to figure out a way to get around Jesus' statement. They try to get a rich man into heaven, and so they're going to figure out why, how that Jesus, what Jesus said, is not really what Jesus meant. And so they manipulate the scriptures. There is an obvious meaning here, but let me show you for just a few minutes how that people try to get around the obvious. Now, the first thing that you should know about this illustration that Jesus gave is that a camel is really a camel. He's talking about a camel, and a camel is an animal. Now, a camel in this passage is one of those big, ugly, humpback things that you see people riding around on in the desert. Now, I... Well, show us a picture. There's a picture of one of our close friends that we met on the, on the Mount of Olives. Sorry it's a little fuzzy too, but the next one I really like because this camel is about to give Gary a kiss. <laughs> they, they became great friends. I understand that they ride each other about twice a month. Um, Long-distance relationships are hard, though. But that, that's, a, that's a camel. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he gives the illustration. The camel is a camel, but there are some people that say that what happened here is a scribe messed up, that he didn't really intend to write camel, but instead of camel, he meant a rope. You say, well, how can you get that mixed up? Well, it's because in the Greek language, the difference between camel and rope is just two letters. You switch an I for an E. Kamelos means camel, and kamelos means rope. And so they say, well, there's some scribe that just messed that up. He wrote down the wrong word. And so Jesus meant that it's easier for a rope to go through the eye of a needle. Does that help us a whole lot? Does, does that help? You know, I've watched my wife try to thread a needle with a tiny piece of thread. And she can barely see that thread and barely see the hole that's in the needle. And so she gets it up there and she looks at it and misses and misses. And she goes, licks the end of that thing uh that thread and trying to stick it in there and can't get it in there and finally she just said if you want this button sewed on your shirt do it yourself but she can't she can't get that in there well can you imagine if she had to put a rope through the eye of a needle i wouldn't want to be around if she had to do that no, he's not talking about a rope here. That doesn't help, it, help us at all. What we don't want to do is change the word of God and try to get things and do something else with it. You just mess things up when you do that. And also, a camel here is not a cigarette because you can't get a cigarette through the eye of a needle either. That's not what Jesus is talking about. So some people will say, well, camel, that's the wrong thing. That's not exactly what Jesus meant. Well, there are others that say, well, when he talks about a needle's eye, that he's really speaking here about a gate. But a needle's eye is not a gate. And most of you have probably heard this one before. Uh, This is uh, really popular with preachers. I was listening to a good Baptist preacher not long ago, and he made this mistake. Uh, He was trying to get a rich man into heaven, so he went along with this old fable that says that there was a gate in the wall of ancient cities that was called a needle's eye. And the story goes that at night they would close the city up, And you couldn't get through the main gates. That was to keep the enemy out. And so they had a little small gate that you could just barely go through. A man could just barely get through it to get into the city. And they called that a needle's eye. So if you wanted to get your camel through the needle's eye or the needle's gate, this is what you had to do. You had to get your camel to, where's the next one? You had to get the camel to kneel down. Now that's a camel in Jericho right there. And so you have to get the camel to kneel down and you take all the stuff off and you push and you tug and you pull and you rub all the hide off of that camel and you're able finally just to shove him through the wall and get him in there. Well, that sounds good. It sounds like, well, maybe that's what Jesus is talking about. It makes a good preaching point. And this is what preachers do. They say, if a rich man's going to get into heaven, what does he need to do? Well, he needs to release all of his burdens. He's got to take all of his riches off of him, and then he'll he'll barely make it in there. But it's possible. It can be done. The riches are his burden. Well, that's all nice and neat, but there was no gate that was called a needle's eye. And even if there was, when Luke tells this very same story, when he says the eye of a needle, you know the word that he used? Luke was a physician, and the word that he used was a surgical needle. Folks, I do not want a surgeon pushing a needle through me that's big enough to get a camel through. That's not going to happen. No, a needle is exactly what you think it is. The text doesn't say a needle gate. It says a needle, and Jesus used this to illustrate impossibility. And the disciples' shock at the statement proves that they understood what he was saying, they didn't say, well, yeah, we understand. We do understand what you're saying. It's really, really hard, but it can be done. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is language of impossibility. In fact, Jesus was just using a colloquialism that was already common in the day. The Jews would say that it is easier for an elephant to go through the eye of a needle. Now, Jesus just switched that up and he used a camel. That was the largest... A uh, beast of burden, the largest animal that you could find in Israel. And, uh, and a needle's eye was the smallest hole that you could put something through. And so to illustrate that impossibility, he uses a camel and an ordinary needle just like you think about it. So what's the point he's trying to get across? It can't be done. Camels cannot go through the eye of a needle. And I can promise you that a rich man's not going to try anything that hard Anyway. He's not going to spend any energy on that. And then there are others who'd say, well, you know, there is a way that you can get a camel through the eye of a needle. You just grind him up and you liquefy him and you pour him through the eye of a needle. And I just have to go over and sit down and say, Whoa, does Bible interpretation have to be this hard? I mean, goodness sake. I mean, if I got to figure out all that stuff, how am I ever going to find out what the Bible's talking about? Oh, that stuff is ridiculous. I mean, Jesus is talking here about a real camel. He's talking about a real needle's eye. And the point is, it is impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. Now, notice thirdly, the alarm of the apostles. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? They were exceedingly amazed. And the language that we have here is they're totally bewildered. They're stunned by the analogy that he gave. How can this be? This upset everything they'd been taught. They were told that riches were an indication of God's favor. Surely God's blessings are on you if you're rich. You know why? You know why they thought that way? Because they believed that you could actually do things to buy your way into heaven. Heaven can be bought. Now listen to their reasoning. If you go back to Matthew chapter 6, you can look at that at another time. But in Matthew chapter 6, in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus talked about giving alms. And he said to the Pharisees, don't make a spectacle out of yourself. Don't go and announce the fact that you're giving alms to the poor. Don't sound a trumpet before you. Don't announce it to everybody. But the Pharisees wanted everybody to see. They wanted people to know what they gave. They made a show of it because giving alms was one of the ways that they could get into heaven. Now, the rabbi said that you could give up to 20% of your income to the poor, but you couldn't give the poor any more than 20%. So how are you going to keep giving the poor more? Well, that 20% grows as their income would grow. It's just like your tithe. If you hadn't figured that out, When you start making more money, your tithe increases. Can I do the math for you on that? It it does happen that way, trust me on it. When when you make more money, your tithe goes up. Well, these Jews, in giving their alms, they could give 20%. So as their incomes rose, the 20% got greater. And they wanted people to know, we are being blessed. This 20% is growing. We're giving more to the poor than we ever did before. And that showed that God's favor was on them. Now, you see what happens when you start to twist salvation into work salvation? Uh, you, you, You figure out bigger and better ways to get into heaven. And so when Jesus said it is impossible for the rich to get into heaven, it blew their minds. It upset everything that they've been taught. If the rich cannot get into heaven, and they're thinking, how can the poor get there? If the rich can't get there, then who can be saved? Do you remember when Mary and Joseph... After Jesus was born, they brought an offering into the temple and it was two pigeons and a turtle dove. They brought that, two turtle doves, two pigeons, and they brought that into the temple as a sacrifice. And they were allowed to do that because they were so poor. The poor couldn't afford to buy a lamb for sacrifice. And there were all these people that were at the temple and they were selling animals for sacrifice and the rich would go up there they would just plop down their money and they get their sacrifice and go their way they'd have their their lamb and they'd be able to do that but the poor could never do that they could never afford that kind of a sacrifice this is the kind of thinking that's in the disciples minds if the rich cannot get into heaven then how are the poor ever going to get there But you see what Jesus is trying to do? The riches represent a person's goodness. And this rich young ruler tried to get to heaven by his good deeds and his love for his riches proved that his heart was no good, that he was going nowhere. Well, the apostles were alarmed at the teaching. How is anybody going to be saved? Think back on that young man. He had it all. He has the wealth. He has the success. He's a ruler. He has all the advantages of life. It all belonged to him. And he can't be saved? If he was standing here right in this congregation on the front row this morning and he was to come up here and tell us, Hey, I want to be saved. I want to become a member of Brian Baptist Church. I want to get baptized. What would you think if I said to him, You can't be saved? Well, you'd be shocked by that, wouldn't you? This person has all these things. You better get him saved. We need him in the church. No, 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 no. Jesus says he can't be saved. Well, this is puzzling to us. This is puzzling. This is a man that's impossible to be saved. Now, fourthly, I want you to look at the real hope that's in the passage, and that's the ability of the Almighty. Verse 26, But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, But with God, all things are possible. See, it's impossible because the rich have their heart set on other things. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so if you put all of your confidence in the things that you have on this earth, then your heart is never going to get any higher than the earth. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And Jesus shows us that this is a snare. It's hard to get a rich person to turn away from his riches. Do you know the reason that God gives people wealth? And God's the one that supplies it. We just read there in Deuteronomy that he is the the one that gives people the power to get wealth. Well, if wealth is such a snare to people and wealth can keep people out of the kingdom of God, why does God give people wealth? Well, he tells us in Ephesians 4:23 or 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, listen, that he may give to him that needeth. Do you understand this? The reason that God gives you wealth is so that you can pour it into his work. And so Jesus said to this rich man: sell what you have and give it to the poor, put it into my work. But that was too much because he was too selfish. He had too much. He was in the grip of his own goodness. He couldn't obey that second greatest commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. And so we here we have impossibility. The rich cannot be saved. Why? Their hearts are hard. Their hearts have been turned away from God. They, they, their, their hearts are darkened by their riches. In First Timothy, Paul said, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good that they be rich in good works ready to distribute willing to communicate laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Who can be saved? Well, the rich man had all of these obstacles to overcome. His heart was the chief obstacle. This is what Matthew Henry wrote. He said, The way to heaven is an all too narrow way, and the gate that leads into it, a straight gate, but it is particularly so to rich people. More duties are expected from them than from others, which they can hardly do, and more sins do easily beset them, which they can hardly avoid. Rich people have great temptations to resist, and such as are very insinuating. It's hard not to be charmed with the smiling world, very hard when they're filled with these hid treasures, not to take up with them for a portion. Rich people have a great account to make up for their estates, their interest, their time, and their opportunities of doing and getting good above others. It must be a great measure of divine grace that will enable a man to break through these difficulties." What Matthew Henry is saying is that when the Lord starts blessing you with all of these riches, then your accountability starts to grow. And as that accountability grows and the riches become more of a snare to you and you want to hang on to them more than you ever did before, then as they grow, the riches become harder and harder and harder to give up and to do what God wants you to do with those things. So it becomes a huge obstacle to your heart. Well, here is the problem with this. Who is able to turn his heart to God? You can't do it. You you can't overcome the obstacles of a depraved heart. Jesus said that salvation is impossible for anyone but God. And you see what he means here? He means that salvation at the start, salvation in the middle, and salvation at the end is all of God. You don't have any part in this. Salvation at the very start is impossible because your heart is depraved. Your heart is against God. Your will is depraved. The Bible says that everything that you think, everything that you imagine is against God. And in that condition, you have no ability to turn to him. You cannot repent and you cannot have faith. It is not in your power to do that because you are spiritually dead. And so do you know what the Bible teaches? Repentance has to be given to you. Faith must be given to you, and it does say that repentance and faith are gifts from God. John wrote, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, listen, which were born, not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Jesus said, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Anybody here give themselves physical birth? Then much less can you give yourself spiritual birth. That is a gift of God. God has to do this. So salvation at the beginning is impossible. Did you know salvation in the middle is impossible? Once you have been saved, how are you going to stay saved? You're still a sinner, aren't you? How will you stay saved? Well, the Word of God says, Peter wrote, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. The power of God keeps you saved. And then salvation at the end is all of God. Let me ask you, how are you going to get your spirit to heaven? You die, how are you going to get your spirit to heaven? How are you going to get your body resurrected from the grave? Can you do that? Well, no, you can't do that. The word of God says that we're going to be resurrected by the same power that raised up Jesus Christ. So at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, we all need the power of God. And so you look at this, with all these powers of evil that are against you, a heart that trusts itself rather than God, then how will you be saved? Can the rich be saved? Now, they've got more obstacles than the normal person has. They have more temptations than the normal person has. They have this snare of money that's holding them back. How are they ever going to be saved? You know, I'd love to take some time to talk to you about the word of faith preachers that are preaching this all the time. When they're saying, get money, get money, get money, get all the wealth you can. Uh, God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to drag all that you can to yourself. I'd love to talk about them. Maybe we'll do that next time. How is a person going to get things right in order that he might go to heaven? With all these strong influences that are against him, how will he ever come to Christ? Can he do that? J.C. Ryle thought so. J.C. Ryle was that English churchman from the 19th century. And I think that every person can find some hope in his insight. He said, God is the one that disposes the heart. Listen to what he wrote. The Holy Spirit can incline even the richest of men to seek treasure in heaven. He can dispose even kings to cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus and count all things but loss for the sake of the kingdom of God. Proof upon proof of this is given to us in the Bible. Abraham was very rich, yet he was the father of the faithful. Moses might have been a prince or king in Egypt, but he forsook all his brilliant prospects for the sake of him who is invisible. Job was the wealthiest man in the east, Yet he was a chosen servant of God. David, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, Hezekiah were all wealthy monarchs, but they loved God's favor more than their earthly greatness. They all show us that nothing is too hard for the Lord and that faith can grow even in the most unlikely soil. Let us hold fast this doctrine and never let it go. No man's place or circumstances shut shut him out from the kingdom of God. Let us never despair of anyone's salvation. No doubt rich people require special grace and are exposed to special temptations. But the Lord God of Abraham and Moses and Job and David has not changed. He who saved them in spite of their riches can save others also. When he works, who shall hinder it? Jesus said with God, all things are possible. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that salvation is possible because of what Jesus Christ has done. And I'll tell you something even better than that. That Jesus' death on the cross did more than to make salvation possible. He secured salvation for everyone that believes in him. So how do you make salvation impossible? Stick to your terms. Come the way that this man did. Lord, uh, Lord I, I'll serve you. And Lord, I, I will follow you. If I can have this and this and this and this, if I can hitch up my wagon and pull it behind me, I'll go with you. I need all of these things. Jesus said for you to come, if you're coming with me, come on my terms. Forsake, forsake it all. Now here is probably a question that everybody has on their mind. If I forsake it all, will I ever get it back? Hmm, That's a good question. Look down at verse number 29. This is next week. It's sweet and we won't spend time with it, but verse 29 will give you a little hope here. And everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. I hope you come back next week to hear the the sermon on that passage it is so sweet it is so good what we have to look forward to when we follow jesus christ he says here you will inherit everlasting life the best news that you'll hear today is that salvation is not impossible with god it is totally impossible with you but it is not impossible with god let's pray heavenly father thank you for your word and For Jesus Christ, who came into this world to die for our sins, to enable us to have salvation, eternal life in heaven with you. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of people today. If there's anyone here that has focused on who they are, what they are, things that they have, and this is all they ever think about and never give their time to you, they have so many things that drag them out of your service So many things that they have to do besides worship you. Help them to understand it has to be turned around. That we were created to worship you and you give us the capacity to do it. Lord, I just ask that you would speak to Christians' hearts, draw them closer to you. And if there is someone here who doesn't yet know you as Savior, that you would open up their heart. The power of the Holy Spirit would just break that stubborn heart and cause them to say, Jesus. I need you. I surrender all to you. Take me and make me what you'd have me to be. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707 584 7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Roanoke Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.